Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 986 with Thomas M. Sterner. Because he was completely observer-oriented, and that's who I want to be. I want to feel free. When I say free, I, if you're not in control of your mind, you're not in control of anything. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With One Huddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. One Huddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp this episode is brought to you by ovation creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant Every time, but the ways to find out what's actually happening with your guests are terrible. That's where Ovation comes in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave you positive reviews and unhappy guests to share what happened. And it gives you specific ideas to improve. Ovation, it's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's Ovation up.com slash unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest ceo of the practicing mind institute and author of the practicing mind fully engaged in it's just a thought thomas 
M. Sterner, my man Thomas, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable, Eric. Thanks I for am me feeling on. unstoppable, man. Like I, I, I made it a rule that if I ever get anybody on the show, I want to read their books. I want to do the, the, you know, the respect of reading their books and becoming familiar with it. And I have to say that your your books, not only did I enjoy them, like they 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 are influencing me. You know, they are encouraging me to to take leaps that I have been putting off because of fear and anxiety or just an inner dialogue that I'm not good enough or that I'm not good at that. And that I will, and, and I, after reading your books know that that's my, that's my inner dialogue. That's, that's the, the, the inner voice, the thoughts. It's not the third person perspective. You know, it's not the true me and uh, just taking a step back and, and just having that knowledge has been so powerful. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of amazing stuff, but uh, I'm super excited. I, I do want to give one huddle, uh, a nod. Um, Sam Cayucci puts you on my radar and um, what they're doing over there and really getting into the, the human variables, the human element, reverse engineering that the, the human element into their software is impressive. Um, I know, you know, Sam, I know Sam. He's an amazing human being and, and one of my favorite. Uh, he's really, out there uh, from a humanistic standpoint you know he's really working to make work conditions better to appreciate people for what they have to offer now and what their potential is i think he's incredible yeah and if you guys are not familiar with one huddle it's a training platform that uses a lot of uh what tom teaches this idea of just the repetition and practice and uh learning mode versus performance mode and just really trying to bake in what we're learning about the human variable into their software. It's a company I'm really excited about. I'm super excited to have them as a sponsor as well. Just a little uh, nod to those folks. But before we dive into who you are and what your books are all about, let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? My mantra is I am not my thoughts. Some thoughts I create, but most of my thoughts happen to me Mm. unless I'm in charge of the process. What do you mean by I am not my thoughts? I think people would listen to that because what do you mean? Like your thoughts are Well, most people spend their day being thought by their subconscious rather than actually being the creator of their thoughts. Uh, so, you know, many times when something is happening to you, let's say you're feeling anxious, if I was to ask you if you could stop this thought right now, would you choose to do that? And Everybody says yes. Well, that's because your thought is happening to you. It isn't you. You're really outside of the thought, but the thought is happening to you. And because you're unaware of that, you're actually in the emotional content of the thought. Instead of so you're not the thinker of the thought, you're being thought. And you know, neuroscience has told us that about 95% of the day, this is where we live. You know, stimulus happens outside of us. Our subconscious has a recorded response for that circumstance. And what it's really looking at is um, the way that the subconscious works is it it is an elegant recording system, but it doesn't think, it doesn't have a sense of humor, and it doesn't care how the program that it runs makes you feel. It just basically encodes information from the way you feel about a certain situation. So somebody walks in the room and says something nasty to you, and you have this feeling, and the subconscious correlates when this type of a thing happens, <clears throat> this is the feeling that you want to have, and it records that. And as you repeat that over and over again, it becomes an ingrained behavior. And so then as the day goes on and you're being stimulated all day long by what you hear, what you see, the subconscious, which is a million times faster than your conscious mind, which it needs to be, it just goes and gets file number you know, A32 and plays it for whatever just happened in front of you. 
And as it plays it, that it puts those thoughts into your brain, and then the feelings are um, recreated, and then you experience the situation the same. You're basically just a slave to the process yeah. without even knowing it. I've got this analogy popping into my mind listening to you talk, and, and it sounds like to, to, to paint the picture for our restaurant operators, like your inner conscious is your operations manual. It's the systems, processes, and procedures that are automated that you do every day, and it's just kind of there in the background. And then you have your frontal lobe, which is the 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 part of your mind that can override that, the executive suite, right? That does the visioning, the planning, the strategic, right. and it can override and change the the the, uh, the standard operating procedures with with routine and habit, right, in practice. Right. It looks at anything. <clears throat> why are why do we have habits in the first place? Well, habits are very efficient from a brain capacity, you know, from a cognitive point of view, because there's no decision making and really no thinking in them. It's just a file that gets run. So the brain is always looking for what are you repeating? Mm. And it's and again, it doesn't think. So it's not making any kind of a judgment. It just looks at what behavior, what um, how do how do you behave in certain situations? And when you repeat a certain behavior, whether that's reaching for a snack at three o'clock or having a cup of coffee at ten, or when that person comes in the room, you bristle. Whatever it is, it looks at that and it says, "Well, um, if I convert this into a habit, then." That frees up RAM, you know, in the brain, and so it looks for that, and uh, and and we need that because we don't need to learn how to walk again or button our shirt. You know, we need habits. You know, that's what the the it it figures it out and then it stores it on the hard drive and then it's there forever. So why is it important for the why are these why is it baked into us to to create habit? What's the benefit of that? Is it it. it, it it frees up cognitive uh, space in the brain. In other words, they allow – you know, if you think about it, the first time you do something, it takes all of your, your thought. Like when you're learning to drive a car, you know, like if you're learning to um – I don't know, swing a golf club, you know, like you're, you can't be thinking about lunch, you know, like when you're doing that, you, it takes all of your attention, but the more proficient you get at it, it, it becomes harder to pay attention, yeah. you know, because it has been automated, um, you know, as much of it as, as can be has been automated. And the reason for that is survival. I mean, that's really what it goes back to. You can't be have, learning what to do if you're a lion or uh, I should say like if you're a gazelle, you can't be learning what do I do when a lion shows up, you know, every time a lion yeah. shows up. Up, you know, you need to react. You right. need to get your butt out. That's of right. There. So, th- so what happens is the subconscious teaches that this is what you do when this happens. And again, it's way, way faster than our conscious mind. That's the reason why you know if you touch a hot stove, you don't have to think about move my arm, this bend my elbow. You know, the subconscious just jumps in and yeah. makes the reaction yeah. happen. And this, this is happening like in the the most primitive part of your mind, the core right. of your mind. Um, the mind grow evolve from the inside out which is kind of cool to think about. But I know from my studies of power habit, atomic habits, um, that also it's, it's just a huge energy suck. Your brain is a giant energy suck. And if you can create a habit, then your brain doesn't have to, you don't realize how much energy we use with our brain. It it saves energy. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, um, everything. It's like, um, all of your cognitive, um, faculties get freed up yeah. like when, it, when as soon as they can convert it to a habit yeah. so it's a really a very necessary um it's a really necessary fac- faculty to have the problem is that because we are unaware that 
it is in control, we're being controlled by it. Yeah. It's running all the time, 24-7. Yeah. We're, we're going to get into that. And uh, I wanted to start getting your backstory in sooner, but I'm, I, I know I'm going to be lost in conversation with you today, man, because I'm really passionate about this stuff. But w- what makes you an expert in this subject? Like, How did you get to where you are today with being a, 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 a known authority on this matter? Well, probably the best part was that I wasn't, I was a victim of myself, you know, uh, with all this stuff. I was completely undisciplined. I was unaware of why I behaved the way I I did. I was fortunately observer-oriented, meaning I was aware that I had behaviors, and I watched them, and the behaviors didn't make me happy. And I felt – and this is – by the time I was a senior in high school, I realized that I was – not fulfilling my potential. I I wasn't even fulfilling. I wasn't finishing goals that I started, and it really bothered me. Because Were you diagnosed ADD or no, anything? Like that or? No, no. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I, I, that wasn't a problem. But what I found, I was late. One, I was undisciplined and lazy. I mean, it was like I wanted everything that came from practice. I just didn't feel like practicing, and that was a question that that just rang in me. Like, why do I not? Why do I resist practicing? What is it about it that I don't want to do? Like, um, why do I uh, try to dodge it? You know, um, when I want everything, I want all the benefits of it. And I start. I was always very inquisitive. I was a deep thinker, and so. I, I think things turned for me when I got I, – I realized by, uh, by senior in high school that I had to do something, but I didn't have any idea what to do or where to start. I just had – like my father used to say, identify the problem and fix it. So I had identified the problem. And then when I got in college, <clears throat> a really close friend of mine had taken a Philosophies of the World course, and he gave me his book. He said, you know, I think you'd like this. And I, I just devoured it. Uh, um, I had been raised in traditional – uh, Western religions, and I didn't know anything about Eastern religions. And so when I began to read about Zen mind and all that sort of stuff, it just made a lot of sense to me. And I began to meditate, and I began applying that perspective to everything I did, and, and my whole life changed. I became very present moment oriented, uh, and the meditation helped me to recognize when I wasn't in the present moment, and I began to hone this skill. And as that happened, I just couldn't get enough information. I read, I studied all the Eastern works, and then I got into sports psychology, and uh, neuroscience really wasn't around much at that time. It certainly hadn't coalesced into its present form. And I, um, but Why was what, sports psychology uh, intriguing to you? What was the connection with sports psychology? Well, if you, look at, if you look at something like golf, because sports psychology was very big in golf, because Unlike golf is not a reactionary sport, you know. Like um, you know, in baseball, the pitcher throws the ball and you no one's trying to sack you. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, In golf, the ball just sits there, and it doesn't care how long you wait. So there's a lot of time for the mind to get in the way of the swing, and the swing happens internally first. You know, the the movement outside the body is the caboose on the train. So if you can teach somebody what a perfect swing is. Why can't they repeat it all the time? And they had already exhausted everything uh, like n- nutrition and, and all that sort of stuff. So they knew that the, the missing link was the mind. You know, the, the final frontier for performance was the mind. And you st- even today we haven't mastered it because, you know, not to mention the guy's name, but you know, one of the guys very highly ranked in the world – Recently was in uh, the Masters tournament, and he brought his sports psychologist and everything, uh, you know, with him, and he missed the cut, and he had, you know, he had won like a week or so before that, and so you have this this variance in performance. Like in one week, they're at the absolute top of the game, and they're able to make their mind do everything that they want, and the next week, 
they're, they're Maybe just they had a, fail. a bad fight, you know, yeah. and they're just not there like consciously. Right, they're not there consciously. So what is the mystery here? And that's um, how do how do we improve that? And that's why there's been tremendous amounts of money that has been spent in trying to understand this. So sports psychology really was the child of that. Like there's a lot of money involved in sports. There's a lot of money to be had. And so it was worth it to spend a lot of money on research to get to the performance level so you could win more. Yeah. And so that was why it was developed. And that was the next step for me. So I want to throw a little context in here because I think some of our listeners might be like, what the hell is Eric doing getting somebody on the show all about the mind. Like if you don't think this is associated with business and performance and you're talking about top athletic like you know, top performing athletes using the science, implementing the science into their lives. We and our businesses is just a practice. Your menu is a practice. Your, your standards of service is a practice. Everything we do in our business is a practice and it all starts with discipline. You, Right. And, and you can't expect anybody on your team to show up to your business a different way, of, you know, better than you. Right. So I think it, it all starts with the owner and understanding this stuff and in being the leader and leading through example and sharing the, these, these lessons on discipline. What's going through your mind? Well, what's going through my mind is if you're not aware of what you're thinking, then you're not in control. Yeah. Um, and I did a, uh, I did an experiment one time with high school kids, and I asked them to – I said, I'm going to set a timer for two minutes. I want you to stop thinking. Close your eyes and stop thinking. Well, I I knew that they couldn't do that, but they didn't know. It had never occurred to them that they couldn't do that. And, of course, their minds are overstimulated by their smartphones and all that sort of stuff. So at the end of two minutes, you know, the ringer goes off, and these kids are just – it's an epiphany. Um, And I said to them – did it, was anybody able to stop their mind? And they said, no, no, I was everywhere. I was in the, the cafeteria and thinking about you know, the, this report I have to do. And I said, yeah, so if, if you're using your will and you're telling your mind, stop thinking, and your mind is saying, no, I'm going to think anyway, then who's in charge? Because it's not you. Right. And so most people live their day not actually in charge of what's going on in their head. And you can't be in charge of it. You can't improve that. Uh, unless you're aware of it. And that's why, you know, at one time I had a presentation called 5% thinking, which is the amount of time that the neuroscientists say that we're actually critically thinking and composing our thoughts. So, like, can we get that number up to 20 to 25%? That would be, we'd be like geniuses, you know? Right. So, um, to me, I think it's really important that people understand that they are outside of their thinking. Yeah. Um, and it, and, Going to what you were saying, uh, you know, about in the restaurant business, there was a chapter in Fully Engaged, which was create your goals with accurate data. And when I started writing my book, I had this, I had a very successful six figure service business and I walked away from it and everybody thought I was crazy. I mean, I had, uh, it had taken me several decades to build and I was, uh, I had a three and a half year waiting list for my work. Um, and and I walked away from that to publish the practicing mind. And yeah. I, you know, and I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. I mean, <laughs> the the practice, the the service that you provided was maintenance and refurbication of grand pianos. And this is a very disciplined. It was skill. very disciplined, and I I worked for most of the major world artists in classical music and country western and jazz. And so I was a very high level technician, as that goes, which is very disciplined. And as a, as a side tangent, it was a very good incubator for what I was trying to understand about my mind because what people don't 
realize about a piano is that it's extremely monotonous because there's 88 notes. So everything you do to that instrument, you have to do at least 88 times. If you go in and you're going to adjust the keyboard on a grand piano, well, there's 5,000 parts and there's 34 adjustments per note, and you've got to go through that process, and you have to maintain the same discipline and focus on the first note as you do on the 88th note. So it's, it's, it is very demanding from your mind, and you're working in solitude all day long. So you don't have – you really have to develop, which is one of the reasons I was putting all this effort into this, was how do I stop this from feeling, my interpretation feeling like this is terrible, I don't feel like doing this, I'm impatient. You know, I was having those feelings and I was like, can I interpret this experience different? Is there a way to do that? And I think that's very very relevant to any job. Because you, know, like, you could be in work and you say, I, you know, I just can't wait till I get home because I'm going out with my friends or whatever it is. Like, you cannot be present with in the moment. And to learn to recognize that and be able to pull your mind back into the present and be completely focused and content in what you're doing right here now is a huge thing. But going back to that when I sold the business, I didn't have accurate data on how long it was going to take me to be successful. So I had this crazy idea that well there's, you know, how hundreds of millions of people on the internet every day and if I if I put this book on uh, Amazon and I have a website, yeah, I, I should be rolling in money. Like um what I didn't I was so naive, it never occurred to me that Nobody knew who I was, so they couldn't search me, and nobody knew the title of the book either, so they couldn't search that. So it wasn't showing up, and I was making about 17 bucks a week on book sales, and I was hemorrhaging money, I, it was, which was okay because I was cash rich because I had sold several business properties and $100,000 in tools, client base, and all this stuff. So I had a lot of cash on hand, but I could see this wasn't going to have a happy ending right. if this continued. So you know, my point is like, well, how did I deal with that? Well, the, the way I dealt with it was – I wasn't in my thoughts. I was noticing the thoughts, but the thoughts were anxious. But um, I realized that I was not the thought, so I had a choice as to whether I allowed – I'm the gatekeeper of my thoughts. I had the choice as to whether I allowed that to go. Now, you know, I also have a pilot's license, and I can tell you that this is training in pilot's license You know, with your pilots. You don't – when the engine quits, you've already made decisions before in a calm time on the ground. What are you going to do if this happens? And – you just move into that behavior. What are you going to do? Well, there's a, there's a checklist yeah. you know, that you would go through. But well, my point is, see, I developed that in clients. It's like, look, if there's a situation that triggers you and you could do whatever you wanted when that happens. But there's power in this because I, I was a commercial pilot. So like even just you referencing that, the, the idea of practice, the power of practice, when you're training with your flight instructor and they just pull the power, the throttle back and your engine died, like what are you going to do? They do it all the time. Right. It just becomes the first thing you're going to do is where am I going to land? Right. Get, and get, get my, my airspeed. Navigate, yeah. communicate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, where am I going to land? What's my airspeed? And then from there, it's like, okay, what would make the engine go off? Right. So you start looking like fuel and, and like you just, it's just all like, like mixture, fuel, tank, like all this, like fuel pump, all these things, but you don't think about it. And th- this was almost 12 years for me. And I just literally went through and I did it because of the, the, the power of practice. Well, what you're talking about, Eric, is. The difference between a reaction and a response. Yeah. A reaction just happens and it's whatever you do. Yeah. A response has willpower and decision making in it. So in other words, you're deci- you made this decision before that happened, what am I going to do if this happens? Yeah. And that's 
I say this all that that's why we call them first responders and not first reactors. You know, they know what they're going to do with the scene of the accident when they get there. Well, if you're in a work environment, do you know what you're going to do if this situation happens? If you made that decision before the situation, especially the things that are repetitive, you know, do you know what you're going to do if you're having a certain feeling like I don't feel like doing this or this person's annoying me? Like, do you have some idea like, well, what am I going to do when that feeling shows up? Like, you know, do I have am I going to be in control or am I just going to be in the feeling yeah. and, and and reacting to it like you don't have a happy guess like what are you going right. to do like oh you make it right you offer something you make like instantly it's not like oh i'm sorry it's like okay how do i write the end of the story how do i provide some kind of value to get you back onto a good experience right uh but you got to train people this isn't common sense you started talking about the fully engaged i think fully engaged um you you made a reference to that book i don't know, know if you ever came back to it when you're talking in terms of restaurants yeah, so i was saying that by because I didn't have accurate data when I chose my goal, which was to publish this book and, and become a successful author, things started happening that I wasn't prepared for because I had made a decision. You know, well, This is what we normally do when we create a goal. We, we set a goal and then we come up with some arbitrary time that makes sense to us, even though we don't have any really information, information telling us that that's an accurate amount of time. So a good example of that that demonstrates that would be I want to lose 30 pounds. That should take four days. Now, we know that's absurd, but that's only because we know it's absurd. But if we do that with other things, then what is, what is going to be there? Um, what is going to happen next? Well, we're going to very quickly not be making our goal, and we're going to be, there's going to be negative self-talk, Scourge. and we're going to be discouraged, and we're going to lose our confidence and feel that we're not good at fulfilling these goals. Now, you may actually be very far along in the process of filling the goal. You just don't know it because you have – the wrong information. You you don't have accurate data, and I, I you know you brought a point up um, in the last the last segment there that I, I just want to jump on. It's a quick story from Fully Engaged, which was when I was a concert technician. Uh, there was an incident that I wrote about, and you talked about a customer who isn't happy you know well i had customers you know i had customers because i was a concert technician you know i had to please these these sometimes very finicky artists and i had there was an artist that came into one of the concert halls that i served and that um artist unbeknownst to me at the time had an alcohol problem was um had a habit of having big mood swings so what happened was they had stored the concert grand. He was playing a concert by himself, so there was no orchestra. It was just him sitting at the piano, and it was a difficult program. And the piano, because they had other shows in there, it wasn't just – they didn't just have classical stuff. They had ballet and um, you know Broadway stuff and pop artists and everything. When they weren't using this nine-foot piano, they would put it under the stage, and, and the, the, it was very humid. The piano you know, piano is wooden felt, and it gets – messed up pretty quickly when it's not in a stabilized environment. So what happened was the piano got cacophonious. I mean, it's totally out of tune. The touch was all out of what, you know, this, this note was easier to push than that note. And so the, the procedure was to pull the piano out the day before and let it acclimate to the room. And then I would come in and spend about five or six hours on it before the artist ever saw it. Well, because of some misunderstanding and miscommunication, there was a young stage manager or stagehand who didn't know the process or the protocol. And the the artist came over on Saturday morning, and the piano hadn't been touched, you know, and he let him in to play it. Now, here's the point of the story. This guy was outraged. I mean, he was outraged, and he was calling me every name in the book. 
So this stagehand calls me at home and says, what am I supposed to do? Well, the, you know, the, my first reaction was, man, you, you just threw me down a rabbit hole that it's going to be pretty hard to get out because now this guy has made his mind up that I hate this instrument and I don't want to perform on it. And your piano technician is an idiot because he's thinking that I've been taking care of this piano and this is how I've, you know, this is how I've, how left I've left it. it him, yeah. um, so anyway, I told the, I told the kid I would be in. Um, now here's, when I was driving in, I asked myself, I know this guy's angry and I know he's going to insult me. What can I control? And I said to myself, um, what is my goal here? My goal was I don't want him to be able to touch my inner peace because as soon as I surrender that, we're going down a bad road Like because I'm going to come back at him and everything. I said, in order to be a professional, I need to be able to maintain my inner peace. So what can I control? I can't control him. I can't control what he's going to say. I can't control how he receives what I'm going to say. What I can control is the energy that's coming off of me. So I'm going to pay attention to how I'm feeling. That's it. I'm going to let him talk and completely ignore that energy that's coming off of him because I already know he's angry. And when I got onto the stage, you know, here I sat at the piano and I started stripping it out to, uh, to tune it, and here he comes. And he's angry as I would expect. And the first thing I did was apologize to him. I wanted to strike the first blow. So I said, you know, I'm really sorry. I said, someone of your caliber has to tolerate this. I said, let me explain what the situation is. And I told him. And I said, look, I understand. Tonight you're going to go out and you're going to have to sit in front of those people. And if this piano doesn't get out of your way and allow you to interpret the piece the way that you have earned the right to do, they're not going to know it's the piano's fault. They're just going to think you stink. And I said, and you're going to be reading bad reviews tomorrow and all this sort of stuff. I said, and you're out there by yourself. Well, as I was saying this to this guy, he, you could see the body language changing, the anger dropping, his energy changing. And he, um, from this, you know, this beet red face and this, all this um, tension in him, it just, he softened and softened. And then he said, um, what did you say your name was? You know, and I, I told him my name was Tom. He goes, nobody's ever talked to me like this. He said, like, um. I'm really comfortable with you because you understand, you know, um, what I'm ups- what I'm upset about and what I'm afraid of. Yes. So he said, "I'm going to go down to the room. You tell me when it's done." I went down to the room after I finished it, and I said, "Why don't you come up and play?" And he goes, "I don't need to." He said, "I don't need to because of what you said. I know you're on my team." Yes. Now it wasn't over then because he did a brilliant concert. But two years later, he came back in town at another venue, and when I walked into the theater, he was up on stage playing the piano and. He looked out as I came down the aisles, and he said, oh, I am so relieved it's you. He said, and I said, well, how's the piano? And he goes, it's got a few things. He said, you'll figure it out. He said, are you coming to the show? I said, I'd love to, but I don't have a ticket. He said, I'll get you a ticket. So there was a situation where everything, he put on an amazing show. He felt appreciated. We almost became friends, and this is a world-renowned you know, concert pianist. And it all came from me being aware of what, my, what was going on in my head, what my thoughts were, having the out, being outside of the whole thought process and not getting pulled into that uh, because I knew other technicians yeah. that would just get right in their face. I mean, I feel like if this doesn't translate to the restaurant industry, if you right. don't see the connection as a restaurant owner or operator, like how often do we run into guests who are just irate? You know, and like it all starts with 
going into your mind and not letting that energy control your energy. And, and then the second thing that you did, which I believe is just beautiful is you empathized, you got into their perspective. You, you, before they had to share their perspective, you say, I know, I feel what you're feeling. And they, that all this is so powerful. And I have a feeling that as we start to like march forward into the conversation and we cover your three books, um, I really want to get like the evolution of, of your, of you know, your practice on the practicing mind. Right. Um, so before we take our first break to thank our sponsors, like I'm assuming it makes sense to, to go into these books in chronological order, but I know that you also wrote them that they could be picked up at any point and you could read a chapter and get something from it. But what is like, what is like, and maybe in like less than three minutes, just give us like the third, the 30,000 foot like arc of like the, the process of the practicing mind fully engaged. And it's just a thought. How do these all like tie into each other? Then we'll get in and we'll really like dissect. The practicing mind was me understanding uh, where lack of discipline comes from because without discipline, you have nothing. If your mind isn't disciplined, it doesn't matter how much you want to do something. If you, and I, that's what I was doing. I was, I had all these goals and everything and I wasn't realizing them and I was the one to blame. So that was where that started. I wanted to understand what is the uh, when are you performing at your highest level? Why do I experience impatience? You know, why do I uh, lack discipline? What what are all the elements of that? And uh, what is present moment functioning? You know, what is being process oriented? And so that was the practicing mind was all the research that I did to write that and how I got from being way over here and not any of those things to being, um, you know, I, I would say mastering them as far as I could see. Um, uh, because when I started, I was embarrassed at how undisciplined I was. And by the time I was maybe 22, everybody was telling me I was the most disciplined person they knew, which I thought was funny because I didn't see the connection. Life just got so much easier for me. That's all I saw. You know, like, um, and I was achieving all this stuff, but it never occurred to me that, yeah, I really have changed a lot. Uh, fully engaged was, I almost felt like it was, um, it's, there's a lot of stories in there that are, it's almost like seven more chapters to the practicing mind. It's like applications, you know, of things. Uh, and we can talk about some of those stories because they'll, I'm sure they'll come up on their own. But one I'll, I'll just say is before you go anywhere, and I learned this, is you have to have thought awareness. You know, without thought awareness, you're nowhere and you're not going to get anywhere. And I taught – I in the, in the fully engaged, I talked – the very first chapter is let's talk about how you learn to be aware of your thoughts. Well, it's a skill. And how do you do that? So I know because I read Practicing Mind, I know you do talk about thought awareness, but it sounds like you kind of pull back the layers on that and fully engage. Well, I taught I talk in fully engaged. I talk about this is the practice. This is the practice you do every day for 10 minutes. You know, this is what will give you uh, an object, uh, an anchor in the observer. It'll make you objective to what's going on uh, in everything in your life. You know, um, not just in the practice of building this thought awareness, but in everything that happens to you during the day. Instead of the stuff happening to you, you'll notice what's going on, and yeah. then you'll make a decision. And then it's just a thought. Was several years of research into what have we learned about. Um, quantum physics, how that relates to our thinking, the field, the energy that comes out of us. And the reason that this is important is because we are in a system where what we think is is impacting what happens to us. Our thoughts are not as private as we used to think. Our thoughts are electromagnetic energy and they move outside of it. It's us and they move into a field and through things like heart math, you know, other people's neurosystems are 
receiving this information from us. And uh, uh, that's very applicable to what we were just talking about. Like you've got a customer who's really upset. Well, they're going to feel your energy. Like when you go over there, your energy is going to be going into their neurosystem. And if your energy is very calming – it will. It can overcome yeah. their annoyance. Yeah. So that's an you know. But that's a. It's just a thought. Is is the mind and the subconscious and how they communicate and what the language is of them, and how do you become aware of that so you become in control of it? Yeah, and it's crazy because this sounds a lot of especially the the conversations around is just a thought. It sounds a, really like woo woo bullshit, right? But the more we get into the science, the more our science evolves and we can get into how, what's, what's actually happening internally, hooking the mind up to sensors. We can see that there's, there's stuff going on that, like you point out that things that the Eastern cultures have been saying for like, for so long, um, through just, I think just being aware and paying attention to the data and the emotions and listening to that. Um, and then like, you know, Western culture where it's so like science based and like, unless you can recreate it in an experiment and there's data, like it's not real. Right. But now we're starting to realize that, that the Western side is starting to catch up to the Eastern side of things. Right. Yeah, That's a good way of putting it. I think that the, um, I think where the misnomer, the misconception comes in is that in the East, they were scientists that used what they had. They explored internally. Everything they did was internal. And they really weren't concerned about sharing it with everybody else. It was for themselves. You know, how do I, what happens if I sit in a room for eight hours and I don't, and I sit there and meditate? What happens? What do I have access to? You know, like, um, and everything that they, all the knowledge that they gained, because it wasn't empirical, it wasn't outside, it was through conscious experience. So there's a thing in the introduction, and it's just a thought, where it talks about gamma gamma brave waves and in the east they were experiencing gamma brain waves for centuries they didn't know they were called that because we named them yeah and, and they didn't call themselves mystics we called them that like yeah. you know, like um, they to them they were just scientists they you just know, were yeah it was just they were doing what they could do to yeah. figure out how the universe worked yeah. and as you said empirical science the problem with it is it always lags behind because it has to be able to produce empirical data and then that means it has to have technology it's not real until you can prove it's right it's not real until you can prove it's real so now what you know and there was an experiment that was done where they brought in these quote olympic meditators and they now we have the technology to see what their brain's doing you like on when they're meditating and they wanted to see well where does their brain go these people that are these these monks from Tibet and also just people, ordinary people that are uh, really what these Olympic meditators, they meditate a lot, have meditated for years. Well, what they found was that they could get into a gamma wave state um, very quickly and stay there as long as they wanted, where the average person experienced that wavelength for like a second and a half. What a is gamma days. wavelength? What is that? I don't know. I've, you know, like, because my point is, is that it is. When your brain, you know, there, there's, you know, beta, theta, they're different things. You know, like when you're in sleep, you're in a certain wave state. You know, like when you're awake and you're very, um, very uh, active, your brain is in a certain wave state. Gamma is way above that. And so when the brain gets in that state, and it's a very deep state of meditation, what they're saying is that your, your cognitive abilities, your consciousness has access to information outside of the brain. And so it's beyond linguistics. That's the reason yeah. why I say I don't know. I can't say it. Like, yeah. um, but that's what. But my point is, is really that now we we know what they were experiencing. You know, cause, I mean, they're seeing it on the screen. Yeah. You know? And so now it's real. Yeah. Like, um, but yeah. it was real to them a hundred, you know, right. hundreds of years ago. So I want to take a break to thank our sponsors. But when we come back, what I want to do is dive deeper into. Uh, 
the practicing mind and fully engaged. And, and, you know, I know you don't want to give the book away in today's episode, but kind of talk to our listeners about how you become like, what's the process of becoming more disciplined to look like and how do how do you uh, become more thought aware? And I want to get into that. And then I'd like, I'd love to wrap up today's conversation talking about your last book. It's just a thought and like where we're heading with this. Cause okay. I think that's really cool too, but we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals in videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with One Huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on One Huddle versus traditional micro learning and video based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker too because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to One Huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. We are back. And now I really just want to drill down in, um, leave the listeners with something to take away as far as like, we understand that the, the practicing mind is important repetition. We got into the why, but let's get into the how. So where does it make sense to start? Pick back up. Uh, I think the first thing where I start with all clients is you have got to have, uh, you call it meditation. I call it thought awareness training because we're not looking for a transformational experience here in terms of a religious experience. You know, we're, what we're looking for is to develop the skill of and that's all it is. It's a skill of being aware of what our mind is doing without our permission. Yeah. And for you, what triggered all this was discipline. You wanted more discipline. I wanted more discipline. And so I thought um, I have to get more of a handle on where my thoughts are coming from. And when I have a thought, why does it have so much impact? Because I didn't know at the time, but my lack of discipline was habitual. At that point, you know, like I'd say, I got to practice the piano. And as soon as I would say that, my subconscious goes, you're like, this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. And it would just say, well, you don't like doing this. And it would give me that feeling, you know, like, uh, so I hadn't reprogrammed. Um, so, but you can't get into any of that. You, the key to the prison door 
is becoming the observer. There's two perspectives. One is being in your thoughts, and the other is noticing your thoughts. And they're very different perspectives, and when you experience it, you know you've experienced it. Um, so, But you can't have that experience without what I'm calling a very simple meditation practice. And I call it thought awareness training because I feel like meditation has too many connotations to different people. So what we're really looking for is to get the person to a point where they start to notice like these kids you know that I spoke about earlier they're they're telling their mind to stop and their mind is it's a problem solving machine if you don't give it a problem it's going to go looking for one and um in order for you to be able to control that or change it you have to notice what it's doing and when you're noticing what it's doing you're not in the thought most as we said earlier 95 percent of the day you're in your thoughts you know that's what science is telling us you know you're only out of it five percent of the day so let's bump that number up and how do we do that well we got to notice when we're in the thought otherwise you know for the most part we don't know when we're in the thought we're just in the thought like and it does it feels normal because that's how we've lived our life yeah. I, I think a good analogy for the listeners too we're always as restaurateurs thinking about like shaving points off for profit, right? Like if you're doing 10% profit, like how do I get to 25% profit, right? Or 5% profit, which I'm sure a lot of my listeners at one point might've been at 5% profit until they started to dial things in. So it's the same, like it's the same idea. Like how do you start shaving, you know, intentionality into your business to be more profitable and like, get to that point where, you know, it's, maybe it's a good correlation or not. I don't know. But how, how do we start getting more mindful? Like, what's the first step? Like, the first step is uh, a simple process of you sit in a chair. I want your feet flat on the floor. I'd like a chair that has a back support, you yeah. know, not something where you're going to hunch over. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to follow your breath. Um, just watch your body breathe. Now, that's the mechanics sound ridiculously simple. How can this have any power? Um, but what will happen is uh, your mind will get bored very quickly and maybe 15 seconds if you're, if you're lucky. Uh, and then it will it basically says, I need a problem. I'm going to go think about something I shouldn't have said yesterday. I don't know what the repercussions are going to be about that or I've got this meeting coming up or um, I'm a little uncomfortable about that. Whatever it is, it's going to take off and you're going to go with it and you're not even going to notice that you went with it because that's the way you've lived your life. That's the 95% of your day. And then what will happen is because you have set an intention and you've told your mind, I want you to just notice my breath, watch my body breathe. You will wake up. What I'll say, you'll wake up and you'll notice that you're not watching your body breathe. You're thinking about this meeting. And that's where this incredible power comes from because it's in that blink of an eye that you re-anchor to the observer you're no longer in the thinking you're watching the thinking because you have to be noticing the thinking in order to notice that your mind isn't doing what you're asking so, it to yeah you need something to do to notice that you're not doing it right <laughs> and that's the reason why you give yourself something simple like breathing mm-hmm. because you need a point of relativity yeah you know um if i said well read this book that's just too much. Yeah. You, know, you need some one singular simple task and to, that you're giving your mind that you can say, this is all I want you to do. All I want you to do is watch my body breathe. And when, and when the brain gets bored and it goes off and you go with it, then, like I said, you wake up and two things happen when you wake up. One is you anchor in the, the observer, which is now you've left the thinking yeah. and you're outside of the thinking. Yeah. And then you pull your mind back. You, you discipline. That's the discipline. You pull your mind back onto the task of watching your body breathe. And that is a rep. And where people fall down with this is 
they I hear all the time, you know, I was trying to meditate and I'm terrible at it. Well, you can't be terrible. There is no such thing as terrible. So why are you saying that? Like, well, because I'm always chasing my mind. Well, you can't chase your mind if you're not noticing what your mind is doing. So that's good. And, you know, the, what you have to understand is there is no such thing as a bad meditation session. Some meditation sessions, your mind is agitated and you feel under stress. And so it's going to be running all over the place. Yeah. And other times it's going to be placid. Well, the, um, co- the cool thing about breathing, too, is that it's something that is both conscious and subconscious. Like it's one of the habits that you create because like it's a repetition Like you don't your, your body does it without you having to think about it. Right, just like being conscious in 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 um you know your your subconscious and your conscious mind, like your subconscious mind is there, like your breathing's there, happening in the background. But you can also use your your prefrontal cortex to override that and say, no, I'm actually going to control my breathing, like you control your thoughts. Which is there a correlation there? Or? Well, you bring up an interesting point. You know, there was a, when they were mapping the brain, you know, the different areas of the brain and what they did. And this is going way back. You know, uh, Dr. Wilder Penfield, I think, was the guy, and he was one of the people that worked on it. They were stimulating the brain because you can do that because the brain doesn't have the pain receptors. So he he said to the, the, this one guy that were, they were sticking probes in and, and seeing what part of the brain did different things. So, But the person was completely awake. So he p- puts his probe and he said, I'm going to make you lift your left arm. So he pushes his probe in. The guy's left arm goes up. And he says to the guy, are you lifting your arm? And which is interesting, you know, are you lifting your arm? And the guy says, no, I'm not lifting my arm. You're sticking something in my brain, which is making my arm go up. He goes, okay, I'm gonna, can you do something else with your arm? You like wave it back and forth. And he goes, okay. And he waves it back and forth. Now he's not, pro- he's not telling him to do that with the probe. And then he pulls the probe. He goes, oh, I'm going to make your right arm go up. Can you not allow it to go up? And the guy said, yeah. He pushes the probe in. Arm doesn't go up. So the quandary there was, where's the commander? It's not in the brain. You know, like um, you do not exist in the brain. You know, that isn't where you live. You know, so you, the observer, is outside of the thinking of the brain. So is the observer – correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding, the observer is the prefrontal cortex. No, no, no. The uh, observer the doesn't live in the brain at all. It's not the prefrontal okay. cortex. Has, this is why I'm here to learn more. So, uh, like, I was, I was under the, the like that your your awareness, um, your self awareness, emotional intelligence, the peak of emotional intelligence, happens in that, that that part in the front of your brain, like in, right there. Well, there's where you know you get into decision making and all that. But like, I, if you look at heart math, which you know we were going to talk about, the consciousness is really in the heart. It isn't in the brain. The brain is basically waiting for the information and this is so, new science that's coming out right that's three and a half decades okay i wouldn't call it brand new like i mean they're pretty far into it they have an awful lot of documented things you know because I've, I've heard that there's like the the nerves in your heart and when you have like when, when your heart's talking to you and you have these feelings it's you know you know there's something going on there but not to get too off track um so what you're saying is the that your awareness is actually outside of your body it's outside of your brain Okay. Like, um, it, it, because we are, I mean, you're getting into quantum physics here. This is like where people can say, well, this sounds a little foo-foo. Well, that's only because you don't know all the technology. This is what has been going on. All the new sciences are saying that um, we exist in a field of consciousness. Like the space between you and me is not empty space. It's energy and information. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And that's how we're all connected. Now, the way that I look at this in my for myself is i think of the oceans of the world you know we name the oceans but they're they don't know they have names they're just one big body of water so if you think of 
inside of the ocean, like, you know, um, all the way down to the depths of it, there are hundreds of trillions of droplets of water, and each one of those is an individual. So the individual is a droplet of water, but they're made out of the water that they're in. So, so that, that ocean of energy with all these droplets in it is conscious. This is, this is what they're telling me. Like, yeah. you know, so it's conscious. So if you're off the coast of Africa and you're a droplet of water and you have a thought, that thought goes into the ocean and it's everywhere. And it's in the Mediterranean. It's, yeah. it's off Atlantic City. It's everywhere. The information is there. So, so my point is, is that the brain to me is like your laptop. You are not your laptop. You use the, the brain's laptop. brain's the hardware. Yeah. The, the brain, you use your brain for calculations and computations and everything. In certain areas of the brain, what heart math is saying is that the heart has – it's more than a nervous system. The neurocardiologist found in the early 90s – I know the date now or the time frame now. I didn't used to. But in the early 90s, they realized that the, the heart has the equivalent of a brain. It has its own nervous system. It has its own memory. And it, when they started tracking the communication between the heart and the brain, they found that the heart is actually talking about 75 to 80% of the time. The brain, very little. And um, what the brain does is it, it regulates things like uh, breath and, and blood pressure and all that. But it depends on the heart to tell it what it's supposed to do, what hormones to release. You know? And so the thinking, the real consciousness is really coming from the heart. It's not in the brain. So, so when you're – to come back to what we were talking about with the process of getting into um, meditation and what this looks like, you focus on the breathing, that, that awareness, that, that, that place of you know, the observer is coming from – we don't know exactly, but possibly your heart? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, um, and your heart is um, – it, it, the consciousness that's there is part of the whole consciousness. Again, so again, it's like the um, the consciousness is, um, like I said, the droplet of the ocean. Is, you are an individualized piece of the consciousness, but your consciousness is tied to everything else. So going back to the, okay, so how do we develop this practicing mind thing? Well, the very first step is to get anchored in the, I am not my thoughts. I have the thoughts. I experience thoughts. Some thoughts I create when I need to solve a problem, you know, or I decide where I'm going for dinner, you know, or whatever, you know, that's when you are thinking you like, um, but most of the time what is happening is that stimulus are happening and the subconscious has a, an inst- a, a response that you have installed and practiced thousands of times. And that's why you get into it so easily because you've mastered it. It's like playing a C scale on the piano, yeah. you know, a hundred times you get good at it. And so that response, you're, you've mastered it. So it just flows like that and it's just effortless. Yeah. And so, so you, you experience it. I'm curious. Um, so I, I try to me- meditate. Uh, I, I go through periods where I'm really good at it, you know, where I'll go like two or three months or every morning, like I do it and it's great. Then I'll, I'll be bad. And like, I'll, I'll do it like once a week or something like that, but it's still way better than I was doing 10 years ago. You know, and that's what I try to remind myself, like where I am right now is where exactly where I'm supposed to be, which is one of the lessons right. from your book. Um, it's a really great analogy using a seed on yeah. a plant, but I don't want to get off that. One thing I do uh, to help get into that place of meditation is I focus on the breathing, but I also focus on the nu- a number. I visualize a number. So I count to 10, but I try to see the number one. I try to see the number two. I try to see the number three. And I've found that r- not just focusing on the breath, but focusing on the, which breath I'm on helps. Is that good or bad practice? Well, there's all kinds of meditation. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's guided meditations, you know, but what the reason why I don't use that for this is because you're thinking. 
I don't want you to be thinking. I want you to be watching the thinking your mind is doing without you're not doing it. Your mind is thinking yeah. like, and, and because I want you to notice, I want you to get to a place where when, uh, somebody says, you know, my meal is cold. You know, like, um, you're going to, there's going to be a response to that. And I want you outside of the response, you know, and I want you to be the observer noticing, Hey, you know, like what I tell people is, you know, when you get upset or angry, you know, what you should be saying is, you know, isn't that interesting? I told myself that's how I should react to this because that's what has happened, you know, and ask yourself if I could act any way I wanted in this moment with this difficult customer who is complaining and making a scene in the restaurant, if I could react any way I want to this person, what does that look like? Do I even know? I ask that to people all the time when they have this a situation that really upsets them. I said, well, okay, I'm going to touch you on the head with a magic wand, and you're going to become whoever you want to be in that moment. Who is that person? They never have an answer yeah. because all they do is they're just in this loop. And I say, like, well, if you don't know who you want to be, you, you don't even have a target. Yeah. Um, so this let's is, start there. This ties into a lot of business practicing, visioning, the power of visioning, of having a vision and having like a, a, a mission, right, and existing for something a goal, an right. objective. Um, but so back to this practice. So once you, once you get good at snapping out of your thoughts, controlling you to now you controlling your thoughts, you becoming the observer, what's next? Well, the next thing to do is, you know, you, you, you handle it in a methodical way. So you, I usually have people when we start um, coaching, I want you to bring me one circumstance that you're not good at. You're not good at handling it. It upsets you. It Can makes we do sense. this with me? Can you use me as yeah, an example? Yeah, go ahead. So, so um, I've always identified as somebody who's really uh, big picture. I, I'm a dreamer. I'm a deep thinker. I'm not a fast thinker. Like, for example, like working in a restaurant, you give me five things to remember, I'm done for. You know, like if I'm, in, if I'm on the line and you shout out like five orders, forget it. You know, like my short-term memory is horrible and I'm, I'm – I would – Say that I'm not a technician. I'm not good with attention to detail. Um, so if this is my challenge, what, 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 like use me as an example. Well, or I was a bad example. Well, it's not that it's a bad example. I would want a more definite thing. Like, okay, okay. so somebody said, like you said, somebody shouted out an order to you. Yeah. Like, um, and so the first thing you'd have to do there is you would have to notice – that you have told yourself you're not good at this. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. So you're not good at it. Like yeah. in other words, if you tell yourself you're not good at it, you won't be good at it. But, you know, like it's just the subconscious yeah. is going to fulfill that. Like, um, but you know, it's like I had a, a kid, a college golfer, say, you know, hey, if, um, I'm winning a tournament. Should I? I'm on the 18th hole and I got one stroke lead, and I can, I can take a risk and shoot and hit the ball over the water. Um, you know, or but if I if it goes in the water, I probably will lose the lead, and I may lose the tournament. Like so, what should I do? You know, and I said, well, the problem is the way that you have analyzed that is you've asked yourself, should I take the risk? I said, no. Here's how your subconscious hears that. Your subconscious hears if you decide to take the risk, then the subconscious says, go get the mechanics. And the mindset he expresses when he feels like he's taking a risk. I said, you're you're. Your takeaway, or the way that you had voiced that was, this is a no-brainer shot. Go get because you're then you now you're telling your subconscious to go get you the go get you the mechanics you feel like when you're 150 yards out in the fairway and there's nothing between you and the green. It's a yeah. no-brainer. Yeah. So that's Just what that's it. what you want, and that's what you want to tell the subconscious to go get for you. But what you've told it is basically what you. 
I'm not good at this. Yeah, let yeah. me give you a better, more specific example. So recently, so Sam's here, right? Uh, Sam has been great. He like I wanted my goal a year ago, a year and a half ago, was to include video. Uh, I had already been traveling on site. I'm like, I'm missing, I'm missing a huge opportunity here. I'm in person with these people. We have the audio that's great. The the quality is better being in person, but I feel like there's an opportunity being missed because I'm already going there. There's content that's on the table that I'm not getting because I don't know how to use a camera. I don't have the the patience, the attention to detail to to take that file and to upload it to social media to upload it to youtube or even just to know how to make it look good with the 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 editing and the after effects and all this stuff and like that whole that mountain of all the shit i have to learn how to do to be good to get to that next level to me was overwhelming so i said well i'm gonna outsource i'm gonna find somebody like sam who's good at this and create an opportunity for somebody else and have create a win-win situation right so now i'm at this point the evolution i'm, I'm comfortable talking about this with sam in the room because we've we've talked we 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 were very candid with each other uh the the goal for me is to be able to do this either on my own so i can take some of the budget it has that i have for sam to, to cover sam's you know um liabilities and all that stuff to put that into being able to be on the road longer and to be able to slow down and to be more present and to follow up on the leads and be more journalistic um so as i'm saying this so the, the the issue of having to do this on my own is coming back up again, or at least finding some bet, better way just to capture. Um, so this is the so this is the narrative I'm telling myself. I'm not good at this stuff. Like I'm not good at the attention to detail. I'm dyslexic. I'm colorblind. Like I'm gonna screw things up. It's gonna make the brand look bad. So you can see the the, the anxiety coming up now. The narrative, the thoughts. So as I'm saying this, what's going through your mind? Well, one thing is that you're looking at the whole picture. You know, which is always the first mistake. You know, in other words, if in practicing mind you'll remember there's a chapter called the four s words you know i mean the very first thing you need to do is to break that down like because you can right? is it the first one yeah um, sorry i'm gonna edit it. yeah <laughs> um, so you want to you know you want to simplify it yeah simplify the process Simple, that's what it is. so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to break it down into small sections like um because it's much easier to focus on well look let's just focus on one part of that project yeah. and you, what you what you're experiencing eric is the whole thing. You're experiencing all that has to happen for you to accomplish this. Yeah. And you're not going to accomplish it all at once. You're accomplishing it by a series of things that are strung together. So you have to live in that. Instead of you – know, you have to live in the process of putting this together. So what is your you – know, what do I have to do between – 8 o'clock in the morning and noon today, that's part of this. You start to become organized, but you have to learn – You have to, what the, tra- the thought awareness does is you notice that's a thought. When you go, I'm feeling like that, that's a thought. That's yeah. what you're experiencing. You're experiencing a feeling, which is an emotion, and that emotion has nothing to do with you accomplishing this. All it's doing is eroding your performance. So your interpretation, I have a thing, you know, interpretation creates your experience. And so your interpretation is, I'm not good at this. I'm going to mess this up. You know, so how is so your experience of that is going to be this feeling of being overwhelmed, and so your performance is just going to plummet. Yeah. So the and now. You can't fix that if you're in it. You can't fix it unless you notice if the thoughts are I'm going you. yeah, you're being controlled by all your you hear is a narrative and then it takes over. And, and then you realize, look, I am not these thoughts. I, these thoughts are just happening. And I have um I've installed this reaction 
even though I didn't mean to. Yeah. yeah. It's always recording. It, you didn't mean to install that, but you did. And so now, and because, you know, when it first starts, you might have a project that you just, it's too new and you have too big of a piece and you're just not performing at the level. Like I said, goals with accurate data. You have set a goal that has way too big of a, um, a short time span and too big of a, an, uh, what you have to accomplish. And so because of that, you have gotten yourself, you start this thing of, well, that didn't go well, you know, and so now moving forward, you're thinking like, I'm not good at this. Yeah. And then that just keeps getting hammered in and hammered in and hammered in. And, and the um, the pushback when you try to change that is very, it's, it's strong. And the reason is because the subconscious is going, what are you doing to me, man? You told me this is what you want. You told me this is what you want to feel whenever you start a project like this. And now you're telling me you don't like it. Like, um, so that's really what's going on there. So you have to expect that. Is subconscious different than ego? Well, um, yes, I, I would say so. I think the ego, you know, being in the ego is, um, and I don't know how you define the ego. Like it's an, it's a, it's the truth you believe about yourself. I it's guess. your concept of yourself, yeah. you know, um, for one. But I think that the what people have to realize is that the observer is not in the ego. You're either in the ego or you're in the observer. the The problem with the ego is a, it's an extremely weak place to be. Because the ego is so easily manipulated. You know, when you're in the ego, if somebody says – Stroke someone's ego if you want them to get them to do something. (laughs) Well, and for yourself, it's a very weak place because if somebody says something nice to you, you feel good. If they say something nasty, you feel bad. You're not in control of any of it. They're in control of it. You've surrendered all your control. When you're in the ego, you don't have control. The environment has control. When uh, When you're coming from the observer, you're impervious to what is going on. You know, it's like if you look at uh, Captain Sully landing, you know, on the Hudson, you know, I mean, what the only thing I can think of that could have been worse is it could have been at night, you know, but other than that, he's got full tanks, he's low, um, altitude wise, he's got 200 people on board and he's lost both engines. You Maybe know? in icing conditions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you look at that yeah. and you think like, okay, what did he do in that situation? If you li- if you ever listen to the transcript, you know he's got like A, B, C, and D. Can't do that. This might work, but I don't want to do it. It's too risky. Da-da-da. He's just going through there. He is not being run by the situation. He is like in the observer, and he's just thinking so clearly. He's he could have been going. I can't believe all the years I've been flying, and this had to happen to me. Yeah. You know, like it isn't ever happened to anybody. Like this really or sticks. I'm gonna die. Yeah, and all these people are dependent on me. I don't need this. You know, like um, he didn't do that. Because he was completely observer-oriented, and that's who I want to be. I want to feel free. I, when I say free, I, if you're not in control of your mind, you're not in control of anything. Yeah. So so going back to this idea of fully engaged and going through the process, and you, you kind of were coaching us through the way it starts with breathing, it becomes becoming aware of um, you know the outside, becoming aware of self. Like you're, you know, what's the term you like to use once you get to that point where you recognize that you're, you're well, you're self-aware, you're your true self. Yeah. You become aware of when you are in your thoughts and when you're outside of when you're watching your thoughts. So you achieve that, and with practice, you can find yourself going from daydreaming or drifting to back to being centered again. Um, we're using different. Yeah, words. It's a skill. It's yeah. A, yeah, that was the, the next thing. And then we start, started talking about just intention and like where do you want to be? Like, what's the goal? What's the objective? And having vision and having a, a, a strategy or whatever word you might use. I think that's where we left off as far as the how to. Um, do you want to pick up that train? Well, of I, I think that you know, I look at that. You know, 
thought awareness is the key to the prison door. Because once once you have that, it's a skill that you can aim at anything. You'll find what what will happen is it doesn't take that long. Um, I don't know, like ten days or so of this, you know, meditating like this. You know, it's well, easier than it sounds. Like I, I I found myself when you're describing. It, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. So I was I, able to get there. Right, and there is no. Um, I I think that you have to realize there is no bad. There is no bad session. Sessions. They. You know. I've been meditating. I've studied all different kinds of meditation, and I've been doing it for uh, four and a half decades. And I still have sessions where my mind is just all over the place, and I'm chasing it all the time. The difference is that I don't judge it. it to me, it doesn't mean I'm not good at this. Um, and I think it's really important to be aware of that. You know, don't quit the practice because you're assuming that because your mind is racing all the time that you're that you're bad at it. But what's really happening is your mind's always been doing that. You just yeah. didn't notice it. How do you know you're getting better at it? Well, you're, you're as, what will happen is during the day, things will happen and you won't be pulled into them. Mm. You will notice that you, you will notice I'm having this thought. That once, um, well, here's an example. I was, when I was coming here this morning, um, you know, I, uh, we were talking before the recording and I got into my truck and, and, and the brakes were failing in it. Now, this is like seven o'clock this morning. So my, knee-jerk reaction was, oh, well, this is a great day for this to happen. I got to go into, you know, I got to make Eric and get And I noticed immediately, I'm not that thought. This is a reaction that I don't need. Like it, like I need to get in there. It's a simple Uber. I can let this, I can stop this thought because I'm the gatekeeper of my thoughts. I stopped. I said, you're not, you're not happening. Like, uh, this is a simple thing. Yeah. I get an Uber. I come in. And it was. I came in, I got a cup of coffee, and I sat here and waited for you. Now, I could have just gone, my hair's on fire, you know, like, yeah. um, but I didn't do that. And now how did that happen? It happened because I recognized I was having a thought. You noticed the emotions. Yeah. I yeah. noticed the thought, and that thought was not going to control me. And because of my, the discipline that has come from, you know, this simple process of 10 minutes a day, I was able to, just like, you know, when your mind takes off in the meditation, and you pull it back, well, that's what happened there. Have my ever, mind took yeah. off, and I just said, no, you're not happening. And I yeah. pulled it back to where I wanted. Have you ever fallen asleep during meditation? Yeah. Is, yeah. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it, it happened to me I, twice once. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't see it as a bad thing. I think that... But it was also like really like after I, I woke up, it was like probably five or ten minutes. And like you feel so... Like you slept for like hours. It's weird. I don't know. Well, yeah. Well, that's because you have gotten into such a state of relaxation, you know. But I would, I would say this is one of the reasons why you want to stay with sit with your feet flat on the floor and your back um, erect and you should choose a time during the day like people go well, what's the best time well the best time is the time that you can do it regularly you know like if you morning get up routine. in the morning and you say uh, I, I'll figure out some time during the day it's not going to happen yeah. you know you need to say like in the morning before I take my shower I'm going to do my 10 minutes after like, my jog before my shower right or yeah. whatever it is like you need to do that so that you're consistent with it and by the way if you do that what will happen is your body and your mind will get used to that and so when you sit down it's expecting that. It's sort of just yeah. like, you know, you get hungry at eight at five o'clock in the afternoon or yeah. whatever, you know, your body will be like, it's time to meditate. Yeah. Um, and that will flow better. Now I, I want to talk about some of the things you, you, you talk about in the, um, it's just a thought, uh, your more, your most recent, but before we move on to like some of the, the newer age, the, the quantum physics type stuff, the heart math and all that sort of thing. Um, anything we haven't, talked about up to this point that we we need to talk about to round off the conversation as far as I think the practice. one story that I would say is very important is um, 
is understanding the process of transforming yourself. You know, meaning like you're this way and you, you know, you have an idea of who you want to be at the end and you have to go through, it's a process. And, um, I think about, you know, one of the big golfers who won recently and he ended up having to make this last putt or he would have lost the tournament. And they were asking him, you know, what were you thinking? You know, um, he said, well, he said, you have to figure out what the process is for you to get where you want to go. And then you have to fall in love with it. And he goes, and then when you get to the place, like he said, I had to make that last putt, which is, I don't know, it was like six feet. It was a knee knocker. Um, he said, his inter- I always say interpretation creates your experience, which will then impact your performance. Um, he said, when I was standing over the ball, he said, I was thinking to myself, this is where I want to be. All the, you know, everybody else was thinking he must be stressed out like crazy. He goes, yeah, I want it. I want that stress. He said, because I want to, I want to beat it. I want to know that it doesn't matter what you throw at me. I'm going to beat it. And I can't beat that if I'm in that situation. So there was a story I told, you know, fully engaged with a girl, a young, young woman who was a golfer and she was very, very good. And she had uh, broken all these state records and she was uh, better than most. They, they, they played, uh, uh, co-ed golf at you know at that that level and she had this one tournament that she wanted to play in and it was a qualifier so if she did well she would have the opportunity to play in a professional tournament as an amateur and so that was why she hired me to work with her and she said you know i have this bad habit she goes when when i'm performing well and everything is going well get out of my way she said but if it's the wheels start to come off there's doesn't seem to be anything I can do. Yeah. She said, I just implode. Yeah. And, uh, so I said, um, so she said, and I've got this tournament, it's a year away and I want to, I want to, you know, play win in the, in the top three. And so I worked with her and, you know, for the year and then it was very unique. They, they allowed the kids to have a caddy, which they didn't usually do. So she asked me to caddy for her. And when I pulled up to the, um, the course, the, the morning of the tournament it was a one day tournament. I saw her swinging, and I could see she was so attached to winning this that she had basically surrendered all of her athleticism. She was trying to steer the ball. She didn't want to hit it, you know, make a mistake, and everything. Instead of just relaxing, and she had the athleticism. She proved it all, you know, all the season long. So I thought, do I say something? No, I don't want her to start overthinking. And this just could be nerves. So I'm just going to let her go off the first tee, and let's just see if she self corrects. Uh, well, she didn't, and she just kept getting worse. And I thought, well, you know, should I, should I intervene? And I, no, I shouldn't intervene because the whole reason she hired me was so she could figure out how to correct this. So I'm carrying for her, and she's all over the place. And um, so by like the fifth or sixth hole, she's just shot herself completely out of the tournament. Forget about winning. She's, you know, she's like um, a joke at this point and getting more and more frustrated. So we're walking down the fairway, and I said, why did you ask me to work with you? And she said um, – I asked you to work with me because of this. She was, she was annoyed because of like, this. You're not doing your right. job. <laughs> she said, I wanted to be able to overcome this. Yeah. And, um, and I said, so how do you do that? And she said, I don't have the faintest idea, Tom. I've tried everything I know. I said, well, you haven't tried everything you know because you haven't fixed it. Um, I said, you're missing my question. I said, my question is, how do you fix playing like this? I said, you have to be playing like this. You have to be in the situation that you want to overcome in order to be able to execute whatever skill that you've worked on to overcome it. I said, so. Say that one more time. You have to be in order to, uh, when you're trying to overcome a situation, 
you have to be in this situation in order to overcome it. In other words, if you want to play good in the rain, it's got to be raining. Yeah. You can't go outside on a sunny day. Yeah. You have to be you – know, I said you wanted to figure out how to turn your game around when you just totally stunk. So in in this scenario, the, the situation that she's in is losing her shit. And right. So she's she is in the, the perfect situation because it's happening. Right. So take it from there. Well, and so I said – you need to interpret this situation differently. I said, first of all, forget about the tournament and winning this tournament. It's a one-day tournament. It's not going to determine whether you become a professional golfer. It's not going to determine um, – I think she was a junior in high school. I said, it's not going to determine whether you get a golf scholarship. It's not going to determine anything except it's presenting you with the opportunity to play around and figure out how to Overcome turn your game around. Yeah. Like that's what it's presenting you with. And this is what you have been wa- waiting for. You've been waiting for the opportunity to execute. I said, so stop being so attached to winning the tournament because that's out, that's out of the question. You're not going to win. So to throw that out. I said, and just change your interpretation to this is what I've been waiting for you know, yeah. and, and go for there. Well, it took her like a hole and a half and pfft, her swing mechanics were back and she was striping it. And when we were going down the 18th, fairway she was skipping and you know she told me she said tom i would give back every trophy i have won this year and every record i've broken for the way i feel right now because she said i didn't think this was possible for me to be playing so poorly and for me to intentionally turn it around i said well that's the value of what you learned today so in that moment her stress her anger for not playing the way that she wants to is is compounding 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 to the point where she was not going to win that that game that match or whatever uh and then you, you remind her that this is where you wanted to be is in this moment where you can choose to go in the other direction and she became self-aware of the emotions in that moment and, she, and i'm assuming what happened if she's practicing correctly she she silenced that and just let her body do the work well she let go you know attachment is very bad attachment to the goal is bad because attachment to the goal puts you at war with the process of achieving it because you're you've told yourself i can't be happy like for her i can't be happy unless i win this tournament so that's where her mindset was it wasn't on one stroke at a time you know like um it was wasn't being in the she wasn't in the present moment anymore she was living in the um it's like you know the archers she you know um you know i I, there's that story where you know the in the 70s in the olympics the american archer coach was frustrated because the americans were so focused on getting bullseyes Instead of the process of drawing the bow, which is what the Asians were. So, you know, when I used to shoot target archery and, you know, like you get three shots. So, you know, the American archers, the only reason they drew the bow at that time was to let the arrow go and see if they got the prize. You know, like, um, and so if the, the arrow was, you know, was wide left or something, now they're mad. You know, they're mad because they didn't get it. Now they're down to just two arrows. Whereas the, the, um, the Asian archers were almost ambivalent to the target. They were process- they were on- focused on drawing the bow and releasing the arrow perfectly, and the bullseye just got in the way. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, like uh, so, th- so it was. Th- it's a completely different concept and perspective of how to approach it. But it's process, not product. So, like, you're not attached to the goal. You have to know where the target is. If you don't have a goal, then you're just pulling the, yeah. the, the drawing the bow and letting the arrow. And fly. this was a big aha. What you just said to me was a big aha for me while I'm reading the book. It's it's the process, not the 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 target you know, or the goal. Um, and I think that this is something that I get caught up in and I'm thinking about where I want to be and what I want it to look like and how far away that is. But when you don't focus on that, when you focus on, you know, they, they use the analogy of how do you eat an element or an elephant one, one bite at a time, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, 
in, over time, but like know that like it, it, but just don't focus on where you want to end up. Focus on where you are right now and how do I do this one thing better? So if I'm video editing, how do I upload the video to the editing software? Right. How do I trim down each segment of that, like of all the different files? How do I do transitions? How do I export just that? Okay, cool. Nailed it. Mastered this. How do I put audio over this? How do I add after effects? You know, and like, don't think about how, that, that you have to do that eventually. Just focus on the part that you're focusing right, on right in now. front of. Be where your yeah. feet are, as they say. You and know? Then over time, in in practice, and keep coming back. You know, th- those things that were a challenge for you the first time, you just know how to do it. And then the next thing, and like you just you, before you know it, you're doing the thing. You know. Well, and it's not just that, Eric. It's like when you're only thinking about the thing that's in front of you, you have access to so much more cognitive ability because, you know, to have these conversations and to be think in your head and to be thinking, I, I can't wait till I'm doing this, I can't wait to, well, that's taking up brain power. You know, like that has to, some, something has to be comp- doing all that computation. And it creates anxiety too. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely and, and, it does. And yeah. you're, and the thing is you're not, you're not doing it. You know, my older daughter one time came home or she, when she got out of college and she was teaching, she had just started teaching. She was like kind of, uh, overcompensating, you know, like on the weekend, she would do just all this preparatory work for the next week and writing plans and everything. So she called me one Friday afternoon and she said, "I'm going to happy hour with some of the other teachers." And she said, um, "You know, she said, oh, I've, I, I, I have to do this planning this weekend.'" And she started off on this thing. I said, "Well, wait a minute." I said, "Look, I said, you you're going to this happy hour." I said, "And what you're doing is you're already polluting." the happy hour by because you're not going to be fully present when you're there. I said, you're, yeah, everybody's going to be thinking, well, you're working on this work that you're not working on, like, um, you know, in your head. I said, so let's just solve the problem. I said, how long do you need to do the work? And she said, four hours. I said, okay, do you want to do it on Saturday or Sunday? She said, Sunday. And I said, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. She said, Sunday afternoon. I said, what, like one o'clock, you know, one, you know, and she said, yeah, I said, done. I said, you should not be thinking of that until one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Because if you're in that bar, you know, drinking your pina colada or whatever, and you're thinking about that, you're not doing it. You're just thinking about it. I said, and that thought isn't helping you. It's not finishing the work. It's not doing anything. All it's done is taking your attention away from your friends, which you're yeah. supposed to be having fun with. Right. Yeah. So listening to like where we are in this conversation and how this relates back to the restaurant industry, I think most people who open a restaurant um, have something that they they love, whether it's bartending or or chef or just service or whatever it is, and they have a vision, this dream of what it's going to be like to open a restaurant, and then they do it, and then they realize, well, this is way more difficult than I thought it was going to be, and then they they put energy into doing the research to figure out what they actually have to do to be successful, and that is a big, ugly, hairy, smelly whatever gross thing you can think of elephant, right? Cause it's so intimidating all the things you have to do to be good at, at running and, and owning a restaurant culture, systems, processes, procedures, the product, the, the, you know, the legal HR and just social media marketing, like all the things you have to do just create this big, nasty, disgusting, like goal. Right. And it's so overwhelming. It's so intimidating. Anybody would get anxiety about all the things I have to do, but like, just where can I start? What's the most urgent, important thing today? And how right. can I get better every day? Um, and I think this is why I tell my listeners, start where you can't. Don't b- go out and buy the elephant. Buy a mouse. You know, figure out that mouse. And then get a rat. And then get a cat. 
And then as you're, as you're mastering all these elements and you can, it's in control, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, like, but have that vision, have that goal, right. But start someplace that's manageable. What's going through your mind? Well, I'm thinking that, you know, we're back to, you know, first of all, when you begin to feel the anxiety, you have the awareness that I am not this anxiety. This anxiety is a reaction that I've told myself I should have when I start to think about something like this. And so that's all this mental energy that isn't going into, are you, are you creating the business? No, you're just thinking about everything that is a problem in creating the business. So you have to, again, you have to have control of what you're, where you're aiming your mind. Where are you aiming it? Are you aiming it or is it, is it aiming itself and you're just going along for the ride? Yeah. And I think also that just to backtrack or to wind back just a little bit is to look at stuff like, you're going to have difficult things. That's normal. It's normal when you run it, when you start a business, it's normal to have challenging things, you know, because you don't have the experience, you know. So some of the things you don't know how they're going to go. So that's normal. So if, again, if you ask yourself, if I could experience this moment any way I want, how would I want that to be? You know, well, I think you would, you'd want to be calm, or you'd want to be direct, you would want to be deliberate. And you're thinking so that you're thinking about what you want to think about and not having the situation run your mind. And so you got to have that starting point, you know, using what you're and you're getting it by what you're ta- you're talking about, yeah. you know, by breaking it down into smaller sections and focusing on that. And you can't do that, Eric, if you just get habitually pulled into the, oh, my gosh, yeah. you know, there's so much to do. And you also point out, I don't know if it's been echoed enough, that once you get into the practice, the practice becomes meditative. The pra- so if, right. in this case, the practice is being a restaurateur is your practice, right? Um, in the in getting into the details of all the elements of, of what it takes to be a good sex, uh, re- restaurateur, like doing that is meditative, Get, have you have you gotten into that point? Yeah, it can. I mean, when you are in, fully in the present, doing only what you're doing. I mean, all this Being, sport, yeah. all the performance research has showed that they call this flow, right? Well, yeah, I guess that's that's a word that's kicked around for it. Yes, um, but the, the the bottom line is that you're functioning at your highest level. You're going to accomplish whatever your task is in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort and without experiencing a sense of struggle. Isn't yeah. that what you want? You know, like, um, like I said, like I, I find that for most people, um, they are, they are just run by their habitual thinking and they're, they're just not aware of it. So that, that's the reason why the thought awareness, thing, you have got to do that without that. You're not going anywhere. Yeah. You, know, you have got to get outside of the whole loop of trigger response, trigger response. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that you, the real you can make a decision as to how do I want to handle this situation? Ask yourself that. How do I want to? Yeah. You know, and just like the pilot does, they don't wait until the engine quits and then pull out the pilot operating handbook and start flipping through it. That's chapter three, I think. It says, you know, they don't do that. They know what they're going to do, you know, before it happens. And, you know, and I tell people, look, you want a rescue mantra, you know, like, and what do I mean by that? Like, when you, know, you know, when you feel like you're struggling, what is that? What is that? You know, the feeling doesn't know it's upsetting you. It's just data. You know, the data is telling you you're up against your threshold. You're not good at this. Yeah. That's all the data is telling you. You're interpreting it as, ah, that has nothing to do with accomplishing and, and, and moving through it. Your interpretation is this is terrible. This is all that has. It's like it has nothing to do. Like if you're a basketball player and you've got 
two foul shots, and one of them's got to go through the hoop, or otherwise the team loses. Yeah. And the first one you miss. Now you have a, you're at a crossroad. You can inter- You can say to yourself like, um, I'm going to allow what I just saw feedback data to me, and I'm going to take that data and make my next shot go in. Or you could say, I can't believe it. I cannot believe. I why did I have to be the one in this position? Right. And, and have this conversation where you're just out of control. Is that going to put the ball through the no. hoop? No. It's going to make that moment. First of all, it is going to degrade your performance because when you're having that conversation and you're processing all those emotions, that's cognitive ability for decision making you don't have access to. Yeah. I'm I'm I've truly loved this conversation. Um, we're not done yet. We're gonna take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, there's some things that you you hinted towards um, during your, your books, uh, the effects of social media and just media in general in general in today's world with consciousness and the effect it plays. Uh, also, I want to get a little bit more into heart math, um, quantum physics, all that other like next level stuff that I'm just kind of curious about. I mean, I'm hoping you can kind of give me some. I'm mean, this is my journalistic time where I'm just going to listen to you and maybe hopefully pick up some leads because I'd love to pull back more yeah. layers on that stuff and tie it to the restaurant industry. We'll be right back. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with the guests are terrible. Long surveys are annoying. Nobody likes to take them. Table touches aren't scalable. And every negative review costs you 30 new customers. Ouch. That's where Ovation steps in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave positive reviews, unhappy guests to share what happened, and it gives you specific ideas to improve. Using a simple two-question survey, guests either click a text message they get after placing an order or scan a QR code to easily answer, how was your experience? Happy guests leave five-star reviews and can be invited back with automated text marketing. And unhappy guests share privately what went wrong so you can resolve your concerns in real time. 
Then the magic happens. Ovation takes all the public reviews and all the Ovation private feedback and analyzes them in a single simple view so you can know exactly what to fix and where. It's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. All right, we are back in during the break. I asked Tom, is there anything that hasn't come out that you want to get on the table before I start getting distracted with all these little rabbit holes I want to get into and in your response to that was what's the message you want to make sure that- uh, the message is you know if you have a mantra it's interpretation creates uh, your experience which is then going to create your performance in the situation and I think you know in, in in business all of that I think one of the most important things is to when you have a stressful situation your interpretation should be it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. because the reason it feels difficult is because you haven't mastered it. It doesn't mean you can't. Like you know, like the golfer, you need to be in the stressful situation in order for you to, to execute the skill, to move your skill up so that it no that situation no longer becomes stressful. Yeah. You know, in the future when it happens, you're like, Oh, this is no big deal. Like uh, but you can't get to that place unless you go through those things. So I think it's really important to realize that when you have that feeling of I'm uncomfortable, I'm anxious, I don't like this thing, that's your interpretation of it. But it's actually quite an opportunity, you know, for you. And if you look at it as an opportunity, for me, what I do is like in that moment, my rescue mantra is something like "Game on." This is when the fun starts. You're going down, you know. I, and I'm talking about the feelings, not the person who's causing the problem. But I'm when when those feelings start to feel like they're going to overtake me, I'm like, "No, you're not. Yeah. Uh, this is game on, and I'm going to I'm going to win this." And this is what you mean by interpretation, or right. how you when immediately once you interpret it as an opportunity, your shift that the, you will experience it differently yeah. as opposed to you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is horrible!" Like, um, and the only reason it feels horrible is because you're not good at it. Yeah, you know, if you were good at it, 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 you don't think about stuff you're good at yeah. because it's you're good at it. Danny Meyer talks about writing the end of the story. You know, there's going to be times where like the stuff hits the fan, right? It's inevitable in the restaurant industry. Something is going to go wrong, and you can choose to let that be the end of the story, or you can write the, a new end of the story. And when the stuff hits the fan, that's the trigger, right? You're you're likely going to have emotions tied to this, bad emotions like I really screwed up, but that's the opportunity to say, how can I? do the unexpected? How can I go above and beyond what other people would do in this, in this situation to write the end of the story, to turn it around? And that's a perfect example of not being like, well, we lost this customer, but how right. do we win this customer? Right. It becomes an opportunity to make a customer for life because what are you willing to do to show that person how much you care you know, and how much you want their business and how truly grateful you are and to, to go to be hospitable, to be warm and overly generous, generous for your And actions. you want to be in control. Yeah. You know, when you when the situation overtakes you with anxiety or, you know, or anger, you're not in control because those are emotions that are being put out and you're just experiencing them. But you are not the emotions. You can choose what you're going to experience in there. Um, And and 
a lot of that comes from your interpretation. If your interpretation is, you know, like the golfer, I live for this. I, this is what I've been waiting for because now I get to try this. I'm going to be good at this. If your perspective is from there, then like um, it really does become like a competitive game within yourself. Yeah. Um, and you're, and like I said, your interpretation will change how you feel in the moment. And that feeling, if you're feeling good about it, if you're feeling like, you know, I want this I, and I want this situation, then your, your mind is going to be in a different place um, and you're going to have better decision making and you're going to feel better about the situation when you get through it. Yeah. So now is where I kind of take the, the rest of the time, what little time we have left together to kind of get a little selfish and because uh, I know you have thoughts and opinions and I just kind of, this is where I want to entertain myself a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty open. Like I recognize the significance of social media, but I feel like most of my counterparts out there, other people who have podcasts and this, the, the business space, the narrative is like always just like, here's the next big thing you can do to make your social media better or whatever, or encouraging more time spent in devices. And I personally think there's uh, something I almost feel it's like my, my moral obligation to tell the other side of that narrative of, yeah, there's benefits to like using your devices and being plugged into technology. You can't argue the, the benefits of AI. You can't argue the benefits of having impressions with social media to get in front of your customers and to do targeted marketing, all this stuff. But the question I want to ask is at what cost, what are we sacrificing for is this is a lot of this fear based? All these things we're thinking we have to do to go out there and to, to be in all these different places digitally to, to devote your time to responding to every comment and every bad complaint and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, well, it has been engineered to be habitual. Like you, it's been engineered. And that's one thing these companies are really good at. They know human behavior. Right. Absolutely. And you they better spend believe millions of dollars. Yeah, in they're research. the best at it. Right. And and if you just look around, um, you know, I remember. I used to uh, I used to be a sailboater, and I remember reading. I used to read these sailing magazines, and I remember reading a story about this family of four had gone to the islands for their vacation, and um, next to them was one of the writers in, in the next uh, slip. You know, at the marina was one of the writers for the magazine, and he was saying that it was like this incredible island sunset he goes the kind you only get in the islands he goes and he looked over and all four family members the kids who were like 10 to 12 and the parents were all on their their devices their faces were in the screens texting look scrolling through stuff they weren't noticing the sunset you know and that's a pretty sad commentary you know they had this is the reason they came here and none of them were talking i recently had dinner at this place and there was um there were three people at the table next to me. They didn't say a word the whole time. They all had their faces in their phones. And if you don't recognize that you're not in control, that the phone is in control, you know, that um, there's nothing. You know, we have gotten to where I remember, you know, because of my age, you know, we had the old dialing phones. You know, you had a, and no, you know, like you would leave the house. Nobody knew where you were. Like, you know, you would just go someplace. They didn't know where you heard until you came home. Like, uh, you know, where did you go? Now, you know, people have access to you. It's not just your friends and family, but it's the media. The media has access to you 24-7. And they know behavior. That's why, you know, when you get a text alert, most people just can't resist going to see what the text is. They're not in control, you know, like, uh, and this is, you know, there was a uh, Nicholas Carr wrote a book called "What the Internet Is Doing to Our Brain," and uh, and what you know what is happening is you know we're seeing this constant decline in our 
attention span. And, you know, what he was saying is that we're asking our brains to process more data faster. And the brain is obeying that. You know, it's evolving to be able to do that. Well, the content's also evolving to do that. And that's part of my issue is like I'm trying to have like meaningful, substantial conversations. Can't do that in 20 seconds or less. No. Like, you like it's, and I find it so frustrating where I'm trying to be thoughtful. I'm trying to be meaningful. I'm trying to slow down and to be present. And I live in a world where I feel like I have to satisfy algorithms Everything I do has to fit into a mold. And it just, I just, it drives me fucking crazy, you know? And I feel like then now my conscious is like, if I don't do all the, if I don't march to the beat, if I don't do the dance that these algorithms tell me I have to do to be successful, am I going to fail? Because I want to be a human being, because I want to sit down and to listen to somebody and to, to take time to get to know someone's work and to be present and to, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so yeah. much. I just want to be. I just want to fucking be here. Part of my language. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like, oh wait, I can't be here. I have to stop to show the world what I'm doing. You know, right. and to like, and to capture this moment. And if it if it didn't get captured on social media, did it happen? Right. You and, know. And, yeah. And I then, mean, that's people have talked about that. How it's do like, you? How are you present? Right. That's if right. That's what you have to do. Right. And this is why I'm like, I get that social media is important. I get that the, it opens doors to you. But I think that the the the, the it's like. What's the analogy to use? It's like, it's like that's the, that's the ecosystem. Say the the ecosystem is a ship, right? And, and the, but there's a hole. The ship's going down. And we're going down with it. But we have to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, what are we doing? Well, I think we've lost we've lost respect at all of um I, going back to the story I talked told about my daughter on the happy hour. I said, um, you're not there. You're not you're not there at having happy hour. Yeah. You're someplace else. And I remember um, I actually had a psychiatrist once as a client who was telling me that he wanted to spend more time with his patients. And but he had so much paperwork he had to do that he couldn't do that. So every now and then he would he would tell himself, I'm going to spend another 10 minutes with this patient. But the whole time he, in that 10 minutes, he was telling himself, there's going to be hell to pay for this. I'm going to have all this paperwork to do. And I said, you see, you're giving yourself permission to be there, but you're not there. And that's what you're talking about. People are not in the moment. They're not there because they're too busy documenting it, you know, like um, with their, their selfies and everything else. And like, um, and you know, like, being from a different generation, I don't care if you ate at this restaurant today. Like, um, I, that's, it's not important to make, you know, like, uh, and so that's why I think that it's, as you said, it's, I mean, they could say, well, I am being present because I'm showing everybody where I am right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? right. laughs> but, but in reality, um, you're spending, you know, you're not talking to the person that's across the table from you. So what are, what are the downsides that I'm not aware of that you would like to bring to the, the conversation? Well, as far for, as what we mean, should be aware of if we're, you know, what are we sacrificing for? Well, for one, we're sacrificing, um, as I started to say about Nicholas Carr's book, you know, he, he says that we're losing the ability to reel our mind in because our mind is being directed all day long, you know, by social media. Now you're going to think about this. Now you're going to think about that. And, um, you know, now you're going to feel this. Now you're going to feel that. And when we sit down and we want to stop, like he said, he, he couldn't, he said, I used to be able to read for five hours. He goes, now I sit down and 10 minutes into them, I'm thinking, I need to go check my email. Right. Like, um, he, you can't be still. People have a real problem with just being still and being with their thoughts and being with themselves. Like, uh, they feel like they're wasting time. They're at, they, they, they're always moving. Their hands are moving. So to me, it's when we allow, um, 
social media to create our perspective of what's going on in the world. Well, like when, like part of what I, I like, like the, the, the studying of human behavior, anthropology over time, how we evolve to be the way we are, uh, you know, psychological evolution, biological evolution, these types of topics. When you start looking into that stuff and you think of like, well, how did we evolve to exist? And then you look at the world we live in today and like, I just feel like, I don't know. It just, it just feels like we're moving in the wrong direction to be happy. You know well, what I'm saying? We are, Eric. And I think we need to talk about um, – we need to talk about heart math for just a second because um, be, there's a lot of study it's in that. a good transition. Right. Yeah. Um, and the reason is, you know, as we said earlier that, you know, the neurocardiologists have found that, you know, the heart really does most of the thinking. And the heart – you can't fake the heart out, which I think is interesting. In other words, the heart deals – it's directed – it, it's directly connected to who you are. Can you say emotional intelligence is tied to the heart? Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good, that's a good way to um, put it. But the heart, like, the heart puts out this elect- electromagnetic field, and that field carries information. It's got data in it, and that data is who you are, what your concept of yourself is, how you feel about the conversation. These are radio waves, or not radio waves, but it's, rays. Well, it's electromagnetic, and, um, it's, and, you know, which is, works similar to a cell Our phone. bodies produce electricity. Absolutely, it yeah. does. It, the body needs the electricity. So, but um, so if you look at like a um, if you look at like a cell phone, or Bluetooth. a cell phone carries when you have a phone conversation with someone, or you're texting them, or you're sending them a picture. That information is carried by an electromagnetic wave to the cell tower. You know that's how it moves. So the heart is doing the same thing. The heart has your information about you. Like um, I'm feeling. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable about this person. You know, like um, that information is in that electromagnetic, and it's going well, that's outside. The gut of you. feeling too, right? Right. So, is you, your gut and your heart? Is there, are there nerves in the gut too, or well, is this the same feeling? It's the same. It's the same area. That's the reason why when people go like this person creeps me out. It's or, your subconscious communicating to you. It's picking up on cues. Well, it's the heart. I, I think the oh. heart and the subconscious are probably tied together. You know, but the um, but the point is is that the brain, the mouth, can lie. Yeah, that's why you can lie. I mean, you can say whatever you want with your mouth, you know, but the heart doesn't lie. The heart only goes with the truth. Well, that's social intelligence. You don't want that person to know what you're thinking because if you're wrong, you might create an awkward social situation or you might still – you don't want to show your hand that you don't trust them. Well, th- this is – but the reason that this – how this becomes apparent is, you know, many times you could be having a conversation with somebody and something doesn't feel right. That's because there's a conflict between what their heart is telling your heart and what their mouth is saying. They're two different things. So your hearts are in communication. Absolutely. And there's a disconnect between what the, their mouth is saying. And what right. If, like, so if, this is also body language too, which is why I love coming. Honestly, what you're discussing right now is why I like to be in person because I know that I'm not getting those radio waves or those, those heart waves when I'm doing a Zoom call. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm seeing from like here – up. I don't see what your body, if you're, like, I don't see, I can't see your feet right now. The table's in the way. <laughs> but, you know, like, you, when you can read not just the words that are coming out of the mind or the, the mouth, but when you can see what the body is saying and when you can feel that, that their energy, there's just something about that. Well, I, I think that why this is so important to understand is that, as I said earlier, your neurosystem, my neurosystem is designed to be able to communicate with your neurosystem through this heart math. The, the, with the information that your heart is putting out, my heart is receiving and it's interpreting it. Um, so 
there could be a confusion or a disconnect between if you said something like um like if you didn't like me and you said oh yeah I really like you you know like well your heart would be telling me you don't really like me because because it doesn't lie it, mm-hmm. it's only it only puts out the truth but I think the reason that this is important is if if you're getting this social media and this social media is always creating fear within you that that and then you are experiencing fear. That is what is going out into the energy field. Um, remember, I was talking about there's the ocean where there's trillions of us. You know, yeah. we we don't realize that our um, the way that we think, all of us think, is going out. It's not it's not private. Like you know, we think because we can't hear it with our ears. You know, our ears have limitations, just like our eyes. You know. Um, just because we can't hear something doesn't mean there's sounds above 20,000 hertz. You know, yeah. We just don't hear them. Just because a frog doesn't understand quantum physics, it's the same thing. There are certain things that we, at our our current mental capacity, will just never understand or see because we don't have the tools to see or hear it. Right. But it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Exactly. You know? And I think that what you're seeing now, like a good analogy is the information that quantum physics is showing, what we're talking about here, where we are part of a collective energy field. Um, and we are in that energy field. Now, electricity has been here since time began. We just didn't know about it until about 150 years ago, and then it was probably 50 to 60 years after that that we really began to use it. And now you look at, we like the whole planet, well, what, where are we without electricity? But the the actual force, the energy force, has always been here. So what quantum physics is showing is that we are sending information into this field and it has emotional content in it. And if if a million people are afraid and that is going out into the field, that is impacting the consciousness of the whole planet. You know, and that sounds foo fooey, but it is not. It's actually hard science, peer reviewed science. So this is the stuff that we're with the, these new sciences that we're realizing is and why I said in the book, you know, what we have a responsibility to the future, to our kids, to our grandchildren, whatever. We have a responsibility to start to take control of what we're thinking and how we're feeling because that is impacting the future. And we literally have no control over what we're thinking right now because we're being manipulated, not per, not persuaded, not sold, manipulated. When people don't know wh- how you're influencing them, when they're unaware of how you're influencing them, it becomes manipulation. You right. Know what I'm that's right. That's right. And, and, that, and that's what's happening on all these social platforms. Like they have agendas. There is a higher narrative that we are not aware of, you know? And, and, and I think it's, it's maybe, but at the same time, maybe there could be an argument that the internet and the, the way we're more connected than ever before, but like, I, like maybe it's going to allow us to do, I don't know. Maybe there's, there's like the, the the futurists will say this is actually a good thing because it frees up human bandwidth to do more um, thoughtful work. You know, like technology and automation and robotics. These these aren't things to be feared. They're things that, that will make the quality of life better. Well, it's a double edged sword. I mean, if you look at the internet, um, you look at like um, the heart math work and what we know from that. If we didn't have the internet, if we didn't have um, the ability to be in, on everybody's phone and everybody's house. Nobody who would know about it. You know, like a few people would know about it. Yeah. You know, it's worldwide. I mean, they have people that actually they have stations around the world where they get you know thousands of people to get together and meditate on peace in a specific area to, to send that energy into that area. So, if we didn't have 
the same thing that that same technology you know that is manipulating us can, manipulation could be good like if we're trying to bring peace into a certain area like so it's um because maybe those people they're not far enough along to realize that what they're doing is so detrimental. Yeah. Like, so, um, so how do I how do I tie this to the restaurant industry? That's part of the things <laughs> I have to do. I think there's a, a common overarching narrative right now where, um, you know, we're moving in this direction of being like restaurants have to be more digital. We have to we have to think of that consumer who doesn't want to come into our restaurant and get that in person experience. Um, and there's opportunity there. And there's like right now, if you are a brick and mortar and that's all you have is the 50 seats in your restaurant, that's your, that's your cap. You can only serve 50 people at a time, but if you open up your services to, you know, digital, now it's as many people who want to order from you is your ceiling. You know, as many people who want to eat your food can order online, can get it delivered, can come pick it up. So the, the, the potential for earning is exponential when you open yourself up to that digital platform. Um, so I, there, but now there's also this narrative of like digital hospitality and, and being hospitable f- through these, these um, devices and through these different platforms and mediums, all the different mediums, email, TikTok, Facebook, you got to be everywhere. Yelp, you know? So where am I going with this is like, is it possible to be truly human and hospitable and genuine and be the best versions of ourselves through those mediums where what we just discussed when you're in person, when you're next to people, there's a certain magic that's happening that, that we need to, to, to feel happy and healthy to be seen. Are we losing that? Like at what cost are we putting this energy? So if my mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, what's that transformation look like? What's best? And if we can transform the industry, can we transform the world is the question I'm asking myself. Well, you know, some restaurants have an ambiance that you, you like, yeah, you can do takeout, but you don't want it. You right. want to go sit in the restaurant. And I certainly, there's some around here that I, you know, that I go to. I think that um, it's kind of a, it, it, it has like it's kind of uh, again it's like a double-edged sword with the digitizing it opens people up to a lot more choices you know which means that the restaurants have more competition um and so what i feel like is in order to function at your highest level in any environment whether it's hostile manipulative you know or whatever you have to understand how your mind works this that what we're talking about here is mental performance technology and that's exactly what it is it's not uh, hocus pocus voodoo it's mental performance technology yeah that's the way that i look at this this you know we're understanding now you know if you go back to the civil it's science for sure yes yeah. well it is and it has to do with mental performance you yeah. know like if you're not in control you're not in control but if you look at like the civil war you know they were uh digging bullets out of guys and cutting and amputating something the guy next to them with the same knife without cleaning off because they didn't know it was things like germs and bacteria right. now we know that so we don't do that stuff anymore yeah. you know so now we're starting to look at this is the this is the consequence of this thinking like um this if you're not in control of this this is the consequence of it but you do have the opportunity to be in control of it so that's why i'm saying like it's it, to me it's a, a very similar thing it's like we have learned through our science what has been around for thousands of years in some of the eastern thought traditions but the point is is like we have learned that you have more control than you ever imagined and you either use that control like I've said, you know, I was talking in Vegas one time to college golf 
golf coach that said, you know, look, this is a, this is mental performance technology. Either you, you your players use it or they're going to get beat by the people that are using it. If you don't if you don't get involved in this stuff, if you don't learn what your potential is and how to control, you know, how to be the best person in the thing, how to think the most clearly, how to think at your highest level, yeah. you know, that's what is, that's what's at stake here. Well, I think that's what the fear is for most people when it comes to getting involved with technology, like in social platforms, social media marketing, the evolution of marketing is if I'm not doing that, I'm going to become obsolete, you know? And well, that's and fear. that's part of, and I think there's some truth to that. I think there's some truth Which to it. Which is scary because only like three companies own that narrative. Like Google, Absolutely. Facebook, uh, yeah. and TikTok. Like, right. that's and too much power. If they're censoring it, you know, like what gets out there and what doesn't, you know, that's the but first. we just fold. You know, like we just accept the narrative. We just, it's okay that they have all of our data. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, you're right if, if you just accept the narrative. But I don't see that. I see like you don't accept the narrative. There's other but people still, like you. I still have somebody that I'm, you know, having capture. Like I choose to not be the one that's in it, but I recognize the importance that I'm willing to outsource it. I don't want to be a part of it, and I still have the apps on my phone because I like to see what people are saying and how the the content's coming out, right? Like the work that Sam's producing. But like I do push back, but I'm also feel fearful that if I'm not constantly making noise or outsourcing somebody to, to follow me around, that I might, you know, what well, I mean? yeah, but, yeah, but that's kind of like. Um you know, there was a time I remember my first computer for my business was like four grand, you know, and it was a joke. You know, I mean, it had like, um, I think it had uh, 20 megabytes of hard drive. Yeah. I was like crazy. Like, yeah. you know, and and the thing is what, okay, well, I could sit around and do things on an index card, or, you know, or I could get a computer. I mean, every, you had to be on a computer to be competitive. And so I don't know that it's the technology. It's how it's being used, you know, like um, because what you're putting out on social media could be I agree with that statement. you know you know what you're putting out there could be very nurturing and wholesome yeah. like and, and and using the same technology you're impacting millions of people whereas if you didn't have the technology who the, would hear it absolutely like, and there's there I do get that it's a double-edged sword and I want to hear both perspectives because I want to open myself up to that perspective but I do like to play these games and um I do want to talk to somebody about the world of um and, and we got to start wrapping up we're at our time um I am interested in learning more about heart math that's a I mean in in an in industry where we're in the hospitality industry, and that's all about warmth, generosity, right. caring. It's all the heart stuff, right? right. So and if I'm, you're if you're good, you know they have a they have a reset um, uh, that you can do a heart reset that you can do where they teach people where you know like during the day they show like um, you know like a person who gets overloaded with tasks, which can happen in the in the restaurant business. Um, and that person's, their thinking goes down, their decision-making goes down, all these things go down. But if they practice this heart math um, thing, which only takes, um, if you get what they call brain and heart coherence, where the, the two of them become incoherent coherence with each other, then all that stuff shoots up. Your um, your higher faculties open up. And, uh, and so the reason is, like, if you learn that, um, it only takes uh, – I don't know, like two minutes or so to do. So you can do resets during the day. You can do it with your eyes open so nobody knows you're doing it. This is called what? Heart reset? Yeah, uh, heart math reset. Heart math reset. I'm going to make a note because I want to come back to it. Is there a person you know of that can speak to this? Like, who, like, is it just, do I reach out to heart math and have them assign somebody to me? What's the best way? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you can do research. Like, you can, like I said, there are videos that talk about that and how you do it. Like, um, so it really, if you're searching that, um, You know, because of it, they have put videos out there for that. And you mentioned a uh, car. Um, 
the uh, gentleman that talks about the social media. Nicholas Carr. Nicholas yeah. Carr. He's based in Charles, Charlottesville, I believe. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, do you know him personally? No, I don't chance? know him personally. I just read the book. Yeah, I'm looking to get him on the show. I'm hoping I can intercept him on my way back. I'm going to Charleston okay. after this. So anyway, um, Tom, this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I do want to give One Huddle one more nod. Um, just because you know they helped me connect with you and uh, I am really interested in this company because they are really paying attention to the human they are reverse engineering the human elements but they're doing it for good yes train absolutely think, like you said that there are du- this double-edged sword like we're learning that te- technology can be used for good but I think we're it's just so new that we just don't understand it yet we don't know how to use it for good or bad and I think this is one company that is leveraging technology to serve people mm-hmm. and I'm really exciting excited about what they're doing over there so that's uh Sam Cayuchi over at one hollow thank you for this introduction and for supporting the show as a sponsor uh and what can we do for you how what what call to action do you want to get out what 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 do you want to leave our listeners with well i would like them obviously to buy you know um, the books um because that kind of keeps me alive you know but um (laughs) you know but uh they can reach me they can email me at tom at tomsterner.com um you know i do talk with people i do come into companies and do presentations you know where um you know i I have some pretty nice uh, presentations that I have done for all kinds of companies. You know, like, so we're talking about this stuff today. But when I, if somebody calls me and says, like, um, we've got all these project managers, and this is what we create as project managers, you know, then I create a, um, you know, a presentation for specifically using, tailoring this stuff for those people so that it, it goes right into their, you know, their wheelhouse and how, how are you going to use this, you know, in, in your job. So, you know, I've done that. Uh, and I, you know, I would say that's that's it. I mean, I, I coach people individually, you know, and they can get a hold of me on the website, um, you know. But that's probably it. Yeah, beautiful. This is episode number nine hundred and eighty-six. Head over to restaurantstoppable dot com slash nine eight six. We'll have a summary of today's discussion over there, as well as uh, links to the books that we have here. It's uh, the Practicing Mind. Um, fully, uh, what was the, the second book? It's not in front of me. Fully engaged. Thank you. Fully engaged, and it's just a thought. I will have links to those books as well to how to connect with Tom over there. Uh, Tom, just thank you so much, man. Oh, man, my pleasure. This was a really great chat. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Tom Sterner, for coming on and sharing his deep knowledge into the world of mindfulness and just the practicing mind and controlling your thoughts. And I got to be honest, man, this this has been a really impactful episode for me. Uh, I, I, I struggle with a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-doubt growing up as somebody who um, had learning disabilities, dyslexia, colorblindness. I, I was always told that I wasn't the best person to do certain things. And I, I, I grew to believe that over time. And I, I realized that I'm very self-limiting because of that. And it's just the power of being aware of these emotions, these thoughts, um, and overriding these thoughts and just starting and, and having these mantras. And if you don't believe that this is relative to the restaurant industry and um, in your personal success as a restaurateur, getting control of your thoughts and, and being aware of how your thoughts and your emotions are affecting everybody around you, this is powerful stuff. So I highly recommend you guys get out there and you pick up these books. Um, the first book in his series is The Practicing Mind. The second book is Fully Engaged. And the third book is It's Just a Thought. All these books are about 100 pages and change, maybe like 120 pages each. So you're only looking at about a 360-page commitment um, to uh, you know get these books in your library and to start making yourself a little bit better uh, today than you were yesterday. And it's 
and I'm really excited about this um, this idea of the, the heart math, and I, I want to go deeper. And um, if you can think of somebody who you think I should get on the show that has some like uh, countering opinions, uh, the, the plus side of the technology and the social media and how we can use it for good, I want to hear that too because I don't want to sound like a crazy person who's only trying to spin one side of the story, but I don't think the, the negative side is brought up enough, and I kind of feel like it's my, my moral obligation to do that stuff. So I'm open ears. I'm here. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm willing to hear suggestions and different opinions, so help me find those different opinions if you got them. Um, we are on the road right now. As you're listening to this, I am in Philadelphia. I'm going to be in Charleston next week, uh, the week of May first so if you're in charleston and you want to connect with me uh don't be shy i'm gonna be on the road alone i would love the company um we are looking to find possibly somebody to travel on the road with me on about four more months we're gonna be looking for that person if if that's you reach out i think that's the the core messages i wanted to get out today that's it for now until next time peace out